Welcome to The Fuzz, a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. I am Carolina Montilla. And I'm Joel Ferris. All right, today we're talking with Jacob. Jacob Simmons, welcome. Studio director, strategy director, Northwest Regional Strategy Practice Lead at Gensler. Uh, also someone whom we dearly love and admire, and uh, glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Jacob. We're so glad you're here. So we've been talking about this concept of awareness, and specifically consciousness, and being conscious, and consciousness as almost a way of understanding the landscape and the geography, the topography, if you will, of what you are aware of, and the factors shaping your your personhood, your sense of self, how you show up and project your identity in the world. And so we want to spend time with you today talking about that and talking about what is consciousness? What does it mean to be conscious? And specifically, what is conscious leadership? And how does your consciousness shape your relationships? And specifically in, in thinking about work, thinking about creativity, thinking about innovation, so maybe we start there. Maybe if you could, Jacob, just give us a little bit of background and texture to your notion of, of conscious leadership and where that originated for you. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I would have to reach back a ways to answer where it emerged. Um, and I couldn't pinpoint one moment or epiphany, or decision, so to speak. Uh, it was a, a confluence of, of moments, uh, notably interactions with others, that would be what I would point to most notably. We obviously you know, need to spend time with ourselves and um, spend time with our beliefs and our emotions and just make space for reflection and... and, and challenge ourselves to to be better um something about kind of self-improvement and betterment of course is connected to the idea of consciousness but i think it's more than that it's around just elevation above conditions that might come more naturally whether that's the drive for self-preservation or the desire to be right or to win or to be seen, all very natural uh, motivations, very innate to being human. Um, but I think there's times when we want to be better than that. We want to elevate above just our natural instincts and motivations. And I think, in particular, um, as I noted, I don't. I don't think we always come to these conclusions ourselves, or or certainly don't develop the capacity for it. We we see it in someone else and and aspire to emulate them because they show us something clearly that we want to be, or they quite frankly call us out for something they know we don't want to be. Um, and so relationships are critical. Um, they're a reflection of maybe uh, an undesirable characteristic in ourselves, or they just emulate something that, that we want to, we want to see. I think an example is, um, going back to my childhood. Um, I've always had 
a a dream to to build this the quote unquote compound. It's a silly idea. It's the idea of multi generational community living. Requires property, <laughs> requires design thinking and development and you know creativity, which is of course core to my profession as a designer and a researcher. But really, it's all about community building. Um, no one knew this vision more than my my grandfather. He was a big motivator for me as an apartment owner and just a man that really found a lot of joy and duty provided for his family was married to his wife and my grandmother for 70 years before he passed away and we'll come back to that one (laughs) so like i i think one of the things you're talking about is this in regard to conscious leadership or consciousness, there's a capacity to transcend an impulse and that you're able to pause from a default reactionary posture and interrogate the default to some degree and transcend it because you're aware of what's happening. It's almost as if you can see it from a third person perspective. And what you were saying about relationships and the story of your grandfather, it's as if relationships become that mirror that allows us to see ourselves from a third perspective where we are put in a position of, of observer, which is the mechanism for expansion of consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um sometimes it's also not just seeing or not seeing it's not just the reflection itself but it's the it's the level of conviction mm. when you see it in others it can be tremendously inspiring um it can also be um convicting in the sense that you come to fully appreciate how how necessary growth is Right. Carolina, what's from this conversation? From the, that like almost third person perspective, which I find really interesting because it takes awareness to a different level. So when you do see yourself as from the point of view of an outsider, what are the things that you observe that you have that you got to a point that you needed to unlearn those things that made you, you, but from an observer perspective to make you a better leader. Yeah. I think, I think some of the, um, you know, instinctual beliefs or behaviors aside, we also, we, we, we culturally kind of propagate certain behaviors or mindsets I know as a young man, I had this kind of notion in my head that my value was derived from uh, my production, whether that was on a soccer field as a young boy or my my contribution to the family in the form of responsibility um, and, and and hard work and just navigating my educational years into my professional years and, and creating a story for my parents to tell their friends about my success. It's, it's all, it's a performative situation. Um, of course, many of those achievements are great. Um, they lead to livelihood and uh, 
providing for our family, fulfilling our passion through work. They're incredible, but um, you can get lost in it, uh, in the performance of it specifically. I certainly had to unlearn that my value was not derived from what I produce, but who I was as a human being. I, I represented membership to a family. I was a big brother. I was a grandchild. Hope this doesn't turn into a healing session, no, but it's kind of nice. I mean, I was actually going to ask, like, what's the what's the emotion there? Just going to double click on the feeling and make it come out even I mean, more. You huh? can, you can um, choose. No, to no, pass. no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> I, I think I think the emotion is not enough of these spaces mm. to talk. Right. Just to, to spend time with with an emotion. Yeah. To explore just the 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 core of your you know your your being your ethos as a human being it's 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 a it's a very fragile messy space right and we operate outside of it often yeah and some relationships some conditions they they bring us back to where we're naturally supposed to be mm. that's really good well the emotions welcome here <laughs> We'll this, see. We'll see in this, like ten minutes. This is the safe space. Yeah. I mean, no, I appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable. I, I think that's part of what, like, you know, we're not we're not talking about conscious leadership as much as we're witnessing it right now, right? In the sense that you're willing to go to that place of vulnerability, and I think it's a big part of it. And your your point about sitting with emotions and like. I think we're so disembodied and dis disintegrated in our leadership and to reinvite and welcome emotion back into the equation for how we show up in the world is really imperative. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think another thing to unlearn is um what this what this path towards conscious leadership creates for your own lived experience and for the <laughs> those in your life witnessing what's going on it's it's not a it's not a it's not a cleanup uh, where we we end up with a with a clean house at the end of our of of a job well done it's it actually sometimes feels like it just makes things messier mm. which is weird to say but um the more i take heed to my grandfather's wisdom or accept the invitation from my wife to be vulnerable with how I'm feeling, the messier it gets. Mm -hmm. the, the more tears, the more hard conversations. And it's, it's not that you're unpacking the past as a, as a healing path towards a nice, clean, clean neat person. It's that you're, you're just embracing a critical dimension of life that doesn't ever go away. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, Carolina, you, you were, when we were talking about this earlier, you were talking about how Jacob has a, a vulnerable leadership style and um, wondering 
I mean, maybe you want to ask that question that you were asking about just how like that transition happened. I think exactly this conversation and exactly this space and the emotions um, that you're feeling are what makes your leadership style so unique, so messy, quote unquote, but also so human because you show up as a human first, as a parent as a son, as a husband, and you bring that first before showing up as a leader. And that's very much uncommon for a lot of the wor world that we live in. Is that, is that one of the ways or, or is that challenging to open up and instigate and inspire that in your teams? Or how do you bring that vulnerability in new ways to your team? Yeah, I mean, the simple answer to not overly intellectualize this is when you feel the power of something, you want to share it with other people. Um, I, I, I dearly value people that I get to spend my life with in pursuit of shared endeavor. I come to work, of course, to make a livelihood. I also come here to make a difference. Um, and after a, you know, a career well lived, maybe I'll look back on my life and my work and have a legacy to leave behind. Um, we all aspire to, to all of those things from the very kind of pragmatic need for resources so we can take care of our families, um, to, making a difference and an impact in the world at scale. And um, it can't happen if we don't share the best of with one another. If we don't share the mess with one another. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's hard to feel comfortable in that space, but we all discover things first. There's always kind of, a first of that we can share with one another. Um, I just happen to feel like I've entered a place in my life where I'm comfortable enough in my own skin that I don't feel the need to shape shift how I feel, what I believe to fit in. Uh, the fear um, of negative repercussion uh, never goes away. Sometimes the things that we hold dear um, aren't necessarily safety-inducing, but um, you just come to a place where you want to you want to be your, your your authentic self. And I know that's kind of a cliche comment because everyone's kind of pursuing that authentic selfhood, uh, so to speak. But I think I, I do think vulnerability and really understanding the conditions that will allow groups of human beings to come together, cooperate towards meaningful endeavor. You, you start to appreciate what conditions enable that to happen. And, you know, we've shared, you know, time deep in research on this topic. So a lot of this is informed by years of exploration, of course. Um, but I think the real thing that makes you want to share it with someone is when you experience it. Um, we articulated a lot of um, very thoughtful research in, in this in this space, but it wasn't until I started to appreciate 
my own shaming of others, my own defensiveness, my own need to be right, my own competitiveness. One night when I started to see that and feel that plainly and then connect the dots between that and the wisdom of my grandfather, the, 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 the kind words of my wife and her encouragement to, you know, in certain areas of my life where I needed to grow and, and really best friends that were willing to call me out at all costs. You start to connect the theory with the practice, with the emotion, and you just want to, you want to share it with everybody because you feel its power. So we're talking about consciousness and how it shapes the way that you show up. And there's this component, relational component to this, that relationships are a mechanism of cultivating consciousness. But it's not just the relationship, it's also your own willingness to reflect on how the relationship is shaping you. There's an openness to being influenced by that relationship. And then there's this integration and embodiment where you welcome the emotion, you welcome the discomfort, you welcome the messiness. And in that vulnerability and in that transparency, it's communicated as authenticity. And that then triggers a response from other folks who see that authentic, vulnerable, embodied being, and they're moved by it. And so now there's a sense of safety and a sense of the ability to relax themselves because now you as that external relationship are influencing them like you've been influenced right mm -hmm. like that's the story that i'm hearing unfold here mm -hmm. and in that context now people can take bigger risks because they feel safer they can be a bit more creative they can pursue that intuitive curiosity a bit further and when the relationship is ruptured, repair is possible because it's not about your performance and it's not about conforming to some standard, arbitrary or otherwise, of what it means to show up and be a professional. But there's a human to human connection where in the messiness, there's a mutual acknowledgement of, of, of flawed and imperfection, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can then learn from that and grow instead of have to outperform it or react in an impulsive way to like cover it up, right? What is this, Carolina, like triggering for you in terms of your, your thoughts on? I think to me is a personal story. Like I've, I've heard you talked about your influences in, and your relationships and your family, but I think today for the first time I I heard you talk about it of this like aspirations of for, of a compound or a collective, which to me is really interesting because since I've met you, that has always been your aim to build a collective of people. And one of the biggest challenges when you do that is that it's easy to build relationships with people that you agree and people that have shared values and shared visions. But it's such a challenge to build a collective with people that have different points of view and different personalities. And what are the, how do you transition that space into 
understanding the value that everyone brings to a table and being able to unlock different people at their best. The extrovert versus the introvert, the one that shares your values and visions and the ones that don't. It, I think this is a unique point in time in which we're building community around work that goes across four generations. Two generations ago, vulnerability was not part of the language that you would bring into work. How, how are you seeing that transition of building a collective of many different minds that are perhaps very different to you? How are you building that compound of people? Yeah, a complex compound. Um, I mean, it's it's insightful to just um, point out the need to invite other perspectives into your life. Um, the presence of diversity, the, the mere presence, I would say, it's like proximity or adjacency to you. I can see it. Our organization has diversity based on X characteristic. It's It's not sufficient. And it's not a comment against it. It's just to say the mere presence of diversity doesn't do much for us if we're not inviting us it into our lives. If we're not, as opposed to having influence, being influenced, as you pointed out, Joel. We, we have to resist the temptation to be an influencer all the time. And we have to be willing to be influenced by others, specifically others that don't look like us, think like us, feel like us, maybe even value us or think highly of us. Like there's just op there's opportunities if you know if we're really intentional about inviting it into our lives. There's probably a way to seek it out and kind of move the needle quick. Um, a little more uncomfortable of a growth process that way. But I, I would just point out specifically, you know, we so much of what we do is just predicated on conclusions that we carry with us every day. We we have these beliefs and these 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 conclusions that 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 we hold dear, consciously or unconsciously. I think sometimes unconsciously, um, and we don't we don't challenge them. And that's where the diverse community can be so powerful if we create certain conditions for example celebrating culturally dissent celebrating and rewarding questions these are these are simple but powerful tactics to challenge the conclusion that can fundamentally reshape the evidence you collect through your life which just reinforces that conclusion and then just firmly locks in your behavior um, which of course as we all interact we influence one another and then it becomes social behavior so we, we we need to break these cycles and really you know get serious about not just kind of signaling the importance of diversity but but activating it through as as mentioned things like questions and dissent those are those are sometimes frowned upon culturally but if we really desire to be conscious leaderships and in conscious leadership and strong as a community we need to fundamentally kind of reshape the conclusions that we hold dear 
I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from you and going back to that idea of like the influencer and the leader not necessarily being the one that needs to influence is creating space for others. And I think to me right now, creating that space for people that perhaps are the next generation in in moments or spaces in which I feel is my responsibility to show up and lead. But you have created spaces in which others that perhaps were not expecting can lead and continue to lead and not be on the spotlight. It's really hard when you create like the organization of a team to say this is the leaders and this follow and then when you take someone that is supposed to perhaps follow and let them be that person that leads no matter years of expertise no matter role I think welcoming that diversity of thinking that sometimes comes from generations that you don't expect it is is one of the biggest learn like things I've learned from you creating that type of space and and kind of being vulnerable of like okay this might fail but we gotta give it a chance yeah it, it might fail and we all fail so many times I, you know I think it's 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 yes creating the space and then it's holding the space for longer periods of time than we're naturally comfortable with again kind of the pattern here is we probably we have an innate motivation to close down the discomfort quickly. We don't celebrate suffering, you know, we celebrate comfort. And simple little things like a room full of people in silence is very uncomfortable for many. So the loudest voice in the room fills it quickly. Leave it open. If there's an intentional desire to let someone who shows up differently, who might be quiet, who might be new to leadership, who might not be the loudest voice in the room. If the, if the intention is to hear them, to learn from them, to be open-minded, to be influenced by them, just hold, hold the space. Be patient. We're, we're supremely impatient in the context of work because of our pressure to produce we can we can hold these things in tension and create viable businesses that also recognize the power of simple gestures and behaviors that allow folks that are not going to speak in the tenth of a second after someone else closes out their five minute rant they're just they're not ready that quickly. Hold space for thirty seconds. It might feel like an eternity, but it's really surprising who else will show up i love that especially as somebody who's a very slow processor and often needs time to like formulate a response and it's especially hard on virtual calls because folks jump in and you don't have the body language to communicate that you're thinking as easily but i also think going back to what you're saying about interrogating our convictions or our conclusions rather and i guess our convictions but conscious leadership as an orientation of learning or a posture right that you take to learn from people who are different than you 
And I think this is so critical in the world that we're living in right now as we're navigating ambiguity and complexity. And there isn't precedence often for the decisions that we're being asked to make today. And so having a community of people, a compound of people whom you can go to who are different than you, who share different backgrounds, different experiences, different perspectives, to essentially be a uh, force multiplier in your ability to see things differently and to play out different scenarios so that you can make a decision that is well-informed about the kind of future you're pursuing and to not just impulsively, like we were discussing earlier in the conversation, make a decision, but to transcend the impulse and to push pause for a moment and to listen to other people and to be a learner and to have a sense of humility and to be vulnerable in the sense that you can say, and it's okay to say, I don't know the answer right now. And to be a leader in that position and to invite then the input of those around you, that's a really powerful leadership. And that's a kind of leadership that I think is most well-equipped to uh, bring the most people along in the most holistically healthy way, right? Instead of, no, I'm the leader, I have the answer, I've got to figure it figured out, here's what we're going to do. How do we empower other people to partake and have a sense of ownership and agency in that collective future that we're all working towards together? Um, that to me really, really rings true as I think about what conscious leadership is and what it looks like. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Any last thoughts on conscious leadership and, and this, this conversation we've been having? I think we've had a lot of conversation about the collective and the importance to, one, be patient and hold space. I think as two people sitting around the table that took sabbaticals in the last two years and the recognition of holding also space for yourself to retreat and That's a great point. to see what you need as a human in as part of this collective. Um, how do you hold space for yourself? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And, you know, you have to do it and you have to kind of manifest that holding of space in really like big grandiose ways. Take a sabbatical for six weeks and go to Europe and, throw yourself into a new culture and, and come back with, with all the happenings and experiences that that represents. You also have to make it a daily ritual. And I think it's important to practice things and really appreciate the power of incre incremental gains because you, you learn how small things have massive, massive returns. I mean, for me, um, I'm a morning person, so I lean into what comes somewhat naturally which I know we've also kind of talked about resisting a bit, but it's quiet in the morning and sometimes it's cold and the stars are still out or the weather's moody. And no matter what's going on, when I step out of my house at 5.30 in the morning and I make that a practice, um, that is a big part of my space. I can connect with myself. I can, I can feel the, the leftovers of the day before physically, emotionally, spiritually, I can take my first first breath of, breath of fresh air in the morning. I can 
look up at the sky. I can go for a walk. I can um, just have a moment to myself and and hope, hopefully sharpen my intentionality for the day. Um, I'm I'm terribly undisciplined when I lose touch with my intentionality with what I'm trying to do. I just start wandering, and that can be powerful too, but um, not as a daily practice. So I try to I try to connect with solitude and quiet early. Um, it's typically the only time it happens with work and a wife and three kids. Um, so I have to be I have to be early and frequent to make that happen. This podcast started because we want to get to places that are vulnerable in which we don't have the answers, but we can start having signs of what it could be. If you were to describe the conscious leader of the future that we need today, what are those qualities that you would put in the ideal conscious leader? I mean, I think some are obvious. You know, they would be humble. They would they would index on service over success. They would be open-minded and curious and seeking influence from others that don't look and act and think like them. I think a lot of that's pretty intuitive to most people. Um, but I think there's also kind of like a, there's also kind of a childlike characteristic. I don't know if that's the right way to explain it, but the level of curiosity and just innate ability to lead emotion, lead through emotion, curiosity, learning, and just to just physically embody and be present with the experience at hand, I think is a real characteristic to attempt to challenge. It's, it's as a parent, it's something that you can, you can seek out learning, um, through emulation. Um, but there's just a, there's just an innate curiosity, vulnerability of, of children. That's really incredible. And quite frankly, we, it's, it's, um, taught out of us. We tend to kind of grow up, so to speak, and come to believe that we're not given opportunities to lead because of the questions we have, but the answers we're not, we're not, we're not being put in positions of leadership to ask people what they think, but to have the appropriate direction that everyone else operates to serve. We're put into the position because we, we know how to do it rather than because we'll f figure it out as we go. So I think there's just, you kind of embody these characteristics of what's expected of a leader and you lose touch with how you got there, which was the other characteristics. I think going back to like, it's, it's interesting to think like the ideal leader is more childlike. And I think there are so many things that as part of the awareness of growing up, you are taught the dangers and you are taught failure, but children don't necessarily have that awareness, which is makes them unreasonably courageous sometimes yeah well we i think we tend to we tend to celebrate people that dare to do the audacious unreasonable illogical 
thing that's of course not rooted in evidence and promise and proof and all this stuff but then we turn around and manage our businesses and our leadership with a tremendous amount of cautiousness um so i think it's it's easy to kind of celebrate the externality of others and say wow look at what was achieved that must be so daring and then be fear adverse or to say man that was just such an abstract creative endeavor it's so inspiring there's no there's no business model for that you know, we so celebrate we, the wins but not the fails yeah yeah exactly that's a great way to say it and you have to you have to opt into the the mindset and the paradigm that you profess is is producing those amazing things and and accept everything that comes with it so good to have you to talk about this i mean uh, i couldn't think of anyone better so thank you jacob um i love that this kicked off with a certain degree of messiness because i think that's at the end of the day what it comes down to for me is like a particular hospitality to messiness. And when we practice that, we cultivate a consciousness that leads to great leadership, good relationship, and ultimately uh, a more rich and, and creative experience of life and work. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to The Fuzz, a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. The Fuzz is hosted by Carolina Montilla and Joel Ferris. Production by Jared Price. Brand designed by Krista Reeder. The theme music was written by Ido Maimong. For more on all things fuzzy, please visit our substack, thefuzz.substack.com. Thanks for listening.